Hello and welcome to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. Today we will be discussing vicarious atonement, origins, and correct understanding. What rabbinic Judaism conceals and Christianity misrepresents. Vicarious atonement, also known as substitutionary atonement, is not a Christian invention. It actually comes from Judaism's oral Torah. Yes, vicarious atonement is found within rabbinic Judaism, and I will uh, elaborate on that a bit later. The rabbis know this to be true, yet for reasons that should be obvious, they prefer that their embrace of vicarious atonement remains relatively unknown, and of course the reason being that it would lend credibility to the vicarious atonement of Yeshua if they were to openly advance what they themselves actually teach. Yes, my friend, Rabbinic Judaism, Akiva Judaism, does teach vicarious atonement. And I will prove that within this probably two-part article. Now, I'm going to probably uh, elaborate a bit. This, this is found, this material is found on the TorahMessiah.org website. And you'll see it listed as vicarious atonement. And it's a almost to 20 it's 19 pages there and normally that's about what would go two parts i'm going to try to keep it to a two-part discussion it may go as long as four parts because i or maybe even more because i'm going to elaborate i'm going to really basically drive home the point that yes rabbinic judaism does teach vicarious atonement, and often Jewish-based counter-missionaries blatantly lie. They sow falsehood when they claim otherwise. So in this discussion, you will discover something that Jewish counter-missionaries do not want believers of Yeshua, incorrectly called Jesus, to know. Leaders of Christianity who teach the God-in-the-flesh idolatry and who reject the eternal Torah also do not wish for Christians to know since it corrects their flawed understanding of atonement, a defective understanding that removes or reduces the individual Christian's responsibility to, quote, work out their, their salvation with fear and trembling, end quote. And that's a quote from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Now, of course, Jewish-based counter-missionaries also do not want Jews to know this. I mean, obviously, the counter-missionaries of Judaism do not want, and often they will, again, they will totally <laughs> conceal the truth on this issue, they do not want Jews to be, made, to be made aware of how their own sages teach the concept of vicarious atonement. Now, what is a counter-missionary? Counter-missionaries, or otherwise known as anti-missionaries, are people who argue against Christianity and, by extension, against the New Testament. They may be atheists, agnostics, or any number of groups who do not accept Christianity or the New Testament. 
Jewish counter-missionaries or Judaic-based counter-missionaries who argue from a position which allegedly represents rabbinic Judaism and Torah is a subset of counter-missionary groups or individuals. Vicarious atonement is a firmly entrenched fundamental teaching within rabbinic Judaism's oral Torah or Akiva Judaism's oral Torah that historically was rarely heard discussed from rabbis or Torah observant Jews. Exposure of this elemental Jewish teaching severely weakens a major strategy of the Jewish-based counter-missionary approach. Therefore, they attempt to conceal its existence from the general public. However, the growing proliferation of translations from a wealth of Torah teachings into the more common language of English, as well as countless hours of rabbinic audio or video lectures where the topic may be discussed, has made discovery of such things much easier. The emerging truth surrounding this issue is undoubtedly quite upsetting to Jewish-based counter-missionaries since now people need not fall victim to their shameless deceit. It is quite easy to substantiate my accusation that rabbinic Judaism conceals its knowledge and embrace of vicarious atonement. In fact, you can substantiate it yourself. Simply ask any Christian or Jew if vicarious or substitutionary atonement is accepted within Judaism. I assure you that most of those to whom you pose the question will answer no. They may then proceed to inform you, sometimes quite aggressively, in the case of a practicing Jew, that not only does Judaism reject vicarious atonement, but that it considers an unbiblical and utterly false concept. You will therefore discover for yourself that rabbinic Judaism does indeed strive to limit or inhibit the awareness of its own support for vicarious atonement. Well, after listening to this series of discussions on vicarious atonement, you will have an enormous advantage when and if you come across someone with a Judaic, a rabbinic Jewish mindset who scoffs at the atoning work of Messiah. Basically, you will be able to use material from their own revered Torah sages to disprove their argument. Thus, a debate subject that historically has often been difficult for believers in Messiah to win will now become an exceedingly easy victory. Now, brief clarification. I would like to make it clear that I do not speak for any Christian organization which combats Jewish kind of missionaries. In fact, many Christians assume that I am an, an anti-missionary, an assumption that is slanderous and grossly incorrect. My primary purpose is to strive to help repair Christianity by reuniting Christians with the Torah and thus to return Christianity to its original pre-Roman paganism, pre-Roman apostasy form. I also do not seek to convert Jews into Christians. A secondary purpose of my personal work 
is to plead the case that Judaism should be more welcoming to those of us who believe in the one true God in which they also believe, and who study and attempt to follow to the best of our ability the Torah we also love. But we, of course, also believe Yeshua to be the completed tzaddik, Messiah ben Yosef, and the future Messiah ben David, while strongly opposing the egregiously false doctrine that he is God in the flesh. Yeshua the Messiah is most definitely not the eternal creator God in the flesh. And I prove that elsewhere within these discussions and on the Torah Messiah website. And there's actually much more material that I hope to, in the future, upload onto the website and into these podcasts. Now, within this discussion of vicarious atonement, I present a brief introduction to the Oral Torah and why it is definitely a valid form of biblical teaching. A much more in-depth discussion can be found in a separate 11-part series of podcasts on the Oral Torah in which I prove its legitimacy and necessity. I introduce it here for the simple reason that what we will be discussing here comes from Jewish Oral Torah, and that the material used to prove the legitimacy of the toning work of Messiah is most directly seen and proven from that Oral Torah. In fact, the bulk of understanding with regard to the entire Messiah process, along with the need for two Messiahs, which Judaism also teaches, by the way, and Judaic counter-missionaries often conceal, is taken from Oral Torah. I strenuously advise listening to the aforementioned more dedicated discussion on Oral Torah for a better grasp of the concept and its legitimacy. All right, Judaic disagreement with vicarious atonement. That is, I'm going to briefly mention Judaism's alleged disagreement with the concept of vicarious atonement. I say alleged because in reality they teach it. One of the more often expressed disagreements from Jewish-based countermissionaries is with regard to the concept of atonement, that is vicarious atonement, through Messiah. Though as news spreads that they also accept the concept their tactics may change. Now, I will say that I haven't listened to Judaic-based kind of missionaries for quite a while. They may have already changed their tactics. They may now admit to it. But in years past, if they do, which I think is doubtful, if they do, however, years past, they would never mention this. Never. It is currently, that is vicarious atonement, among the foremost disagreements. And they will almost, that is disagreements with what the New Testament teaches, and they will almost always use it in their argument against those of us who accept and revere the atonement through Yeshua the Messiah as taught in the New Testament. The Jewish-based counter-missionaries attack the concept by claiming that there is nothing within the Torah which, which indicates that a man can atone for the sins of another. Well, 
Such people, such Jewish counter-missionaries or practicing Jews, are either uninformed of their own Torah, that is, they're uninformed of Torah which they claim to know, or they are being disingenuous, that is, they're lying. To the unschooled in Torah, particularly those who rely exclusively on the New Testament, the arguments of counter-missionaries are virtually impossible to clearly and directly refute. The unschooled are generally Christians who reject Torah and never study it beyond, perhaps, a cursory glance, and also, of course, who virtually never study oral Torah. Any Christian who brings standard Christian dogma, that is, standard anti-Torah, unschooled on Torah Christian dogma, into any such debate with a counter-missionary, will lose badly. At best, opinions will remain unchanged, and rare is the case that a Christian can sincerely win a debate with a well-schooled Jewish counter-missionary. Usually, those Christians end up looking like fools as they scramble and strive to prove their positions using their flawed understanding of Scripture. They cannot refute with certainty most arguments from counter-missionaries, which is why truly sincere Christians are increasingly becoming ex-Christians and either sliding into anti-Paulism, into rabbinic Judaism, or into total abandonment of the faith in the Bible. Or some may go into Messianic Judaism. But the anti-Paulism, Judaism, and abandonment of, of biblical faith are becoming sadly more and more common among Christians as they recognize the grotesque hypocrisy and paganism within Christianity and leave Christianity. However, some of them are correctly aligning with the Torah embracing truth, which does not require rejection of New Testament teaching. May God show favor to those of us who struggle against powerful spiritual forces of deceit as we strive to awaken people to the glorious truths of Yeshua Judaism, as I call it, which represents the original, authentic New Testament faith and is defined elsewhere in a four-part series where I contrast Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism. And that has been long corrupted by Christianity. Basically, the corruption of the original faith of the New Testament began, frankly, as early as the second century. And it was solidified and basically in, enshrined in Christian dogma in the fourth century under Emperor Constantine. Now, a quick definition of anti-Paulism, because I use that word from time to time, and I want people to understand what I'm talking about. Anti-Paulism. Anti-Paulism is a movement composed of those whom I call anti-Paulist. Anti-Paulist rightly oppose the foundational anti-Torah doctrine of Christianity and wrongly believe that the Apostle Shaul or Apostle Paul taught against the Torah. They, therefore, partially or in most cases completely reject the Apostle Paul and display intense dislike of him while often mercilessly slandering his character. Much like Christians, they are quite unacquainted with Torah 
and therefore do not realize that Paul was actually a strong Torah proponent. Also, like Christians, their unfamiliarity and general rejection of primarily oral Torah prevents them from seeing the oral Torah parallels within the Apostle Paul's epistles as well as within the rest of the New Testament. Essentially, Antipolists practice the exact same error of interpretation as do Christians for exactly the same reason. Torah ignorance. But at least they do not consider the Torah to be abolished. Now, continuing on with our discussion. I realize many Christians naively claim that they can adequately refute counter-missionaries as they point to various alleged messianic passages in the Tanakh for their proofs. While a few Tanakh or Old Testament passages, such as the Isaiah 53 verses, may and do strongly suggest atonement through suffering, they do not irrefutably state it, though they come pretty close, admittedly. All of those passages have other potential interpretations, though bias often blinds Christians to realizing it. And there are a lot of rabbis and Jews out there that will present a different interpretation that really has to, you have to stretch the bounds of reasons, reason as you read the verses, particularly Isaiah, Isaiah 53. You have to stretch the bounds of reason to actually adapt the rabbinic understanding of Isaiah 53. Now I say that, there are many other rabbis who openly state and clearly loudly state that Isaiah 53 does indeed refer to a suffering servant, to Messiah ben Yosef. But you don't hear that a lot. That's, that, again, is part of the deceit of the entire counter-missionary movement within Judaism. They are so deceitful. They, they count on the ignorance of their audience. They count on the ignorance of those to whom they, they speak with. That is, ignorance of oral Torah. They're counting on that as they promote lies and deceive people and conceal things that actually support the New Testament. They conceal those things. Now, Rashi. Let me discuss Rashi. I must slightly deviate from the discussion to point out that the normal interpretation from many Jewish sources is not entirely forthcoming for passages such as Isaiah 53. Those Jewish sources fail to mention that much of modern-day Judaism's ideology originates from the opinions of one man, Rashi. Now, who is this Rashi guy? Rashi is, excuse my pronunciation here, Rashi, known as Shlomo Yitzhaki, was born in the 11th century and died, of course. Well, he was born in the 11th century and died in the early 12th century. In Latin, his name is Solomon Isaac, I can't even say it, Solomon Isaacides, who, who cares about Latin? And he's generally known by the acronym Rashi, which comes from Rabbi Shlomo Iksaki, okay? R-A, Rabbi, S-H, Shlomo, I, Iksaki, okay? So Rashi is what is that you'll hear the term Rashi. This is they were, who they're referring to, right? An 11th century rabbi. He was a medieval French rabbi and author of comprehensive commentary on the Talmud, 
and also on the Tanakh, which Christianity irreverently calls the Old Testament. So Rashi is a very highly renowned rabbi of the 11th century, okay? Rashi is largely considered the father of all commentary that followed the Talmud. Proof of this is found in, for instance, the preface to the Stone Edition Chumash, published by Mazarah Publications. Within that preface is the following quote, quote, The new translation in this volume attempts to render the text as our sages understood it. Where there are differing interpretations, we follow Rashi, the father of commentators, because the study of the Chumash has been synonymous with Chumash Rashi for nine centuries. As Ramban, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, or Nachmanides, says in his introduction, to him, that is to Rashi, belongs the right of the firstborn. End quote. So, as you can see from that quote, modern-day rabbinic Judaism depends heavily upon Rashi's opinions. However, as is implied in the above quote that I just read, Rashi's opinions do differ with other esteemed rabbis of history, a fact that Jewish kind of missionaries often fail to divulge when stating Judaism's often Rashi-based opinions regarding passages of Scripture. No, they will present it as though this is the closed fact. This is, this is standard, this is established, and they'll basically give their opinion. They'll be saying things, that is, the counter-missionaries, and they're basing it off of their following of Rashi's opinion. But they generally never mention that there are other rabbis, other revered rabbis, who differ with Rashi's opinion. They don't want to point that out because it weakens their counter-missionary deceit. It weakens their efforts. Throughout Judaism's history, many other rabbis, unlike Rashi, firmly held to the belief, for instance, that Isaiah 53, as well as numerous other passages within the Tanakh, refers to Messiah and or to a suffering servant a suffering servant tzaddik, or righteous one. Here's the takeaway from this brief little discussion here regarding the counter-missionaries. One of the most deceitful tactics used by Akiva Judaism or Rabbinic Judaism rabbis and Rabbinic-based Judaic counter-missionaries is their concealment of significant historic and theological theological backing from within their own teachings, most notably the deeper Hashkafa and Kabbalah elements of the Oral Torah, which strongly supports a legitimate Torah-based interpretation of the New Testament. But please do not confuse legitimate New Testament interpretation with Christianity's severely flawed standard interpretation, which seriously corrupts the true teachings of those first century apostolic writings. Now, I do not wish to demean Rashi. Uh, that is not my intent. I in no way want to demean the memory of Rashi. I respect and honor his enormous contributions to the understanding of the eternal God's Torah 
and I dare not equate myself to even a crushed bug on the bottom of his shoes with respect to my Torah knowledge or piety. I even use Rashi's commentary within this article that you're listening to. Nevertheless, I would be remiss were I not to point out that, based upon my studies, Rabbinic Judaism favors Rashi because he is among the foremost of all anti-Christian rabbis in the sense that his opinions sometimes differ more strongly with the messianic interpretations of various Tanakh passages than do those of other esteemed rabbis. Isaiah 53 is a perfect example. It's a classic example. Basically, if Judaic-based counter missionaries want to argue against Yeshua's work in the New Testament, Rashi is often their go-to guy, since his tendency is to interpret possible messianic passages as being non-messianic, despite the fact other rabbis of antiquity and the modern era saw and see them as being very much messianic, such as Isaiah 53. It is, therefore, no coincidence that most modern translations of the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh, follow the lead, that is, translations from Judaism, follow the lead of Rashi in their interpretation of various passages. To its credit, Judaism does not hide this fact. They are open about their reliance upon Rashi. If you read the preface or introductions of various Tanakh publications, that is, Hebrew Bible publications, such as the Archgrove series Stone Edition Tanakh, also published by Mizrah Publications, you will see that it, like the Stone Edition Chumash we quoted earlier, follows the understanding of Rashi, as do many other writings from Judaism. I wish it were so that Christianity was as open about the actual sources for its doctrines sources that originate from pagan and idolatrous, unbiblical concepts of the ancient Roman Empire, which eventually became standard Christian beliefs. As you will see, however, even Rashi's commentary, which will be discussed in this material, which comes from the stone edition of Hamash, actually supports the atoning work of Messiah. It implicitly supports it. Now, at this point, I'm going to pause, and this, this will conclude part one of our discussion of vicarious atonement. And in part two, I will start off discussing how the best defense of the New Testament is a Torah offense. So, thank you for listening to this part one. This is an important series of discussions. Most Christians, again, most Christians are not aware that Judaism actually does teach about vicarious atonement and that the actual properly interpreted understanding of the New Testament, which promotes vicarious atonement, comes from the oral Torah of Judaism. It's a Judaic concept. It is not a Christian concept. Now, it is in the sense of it is now, but it comes from a Torah-based concept. It does not come from a Christian anti-Torah concept. The origins are from Judaism's Torah. It's from the Torah, and since oral Torah is part of Torah, it is a Torah-based 
concept. Vicarious atonement is Torah-based. And we will continue with our discussion in part two of Vicarious Atonement, Origins and Correct Understanding. So please come back and join us again for part two in our discussion. Thank you and goodbye.